Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardena Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Shabbat Pei Bet 82. So there's a lot to get to on this daf, um, and the first thing I want to start with actually begins on the daf before, which often happens to us, and there's a discussion about certain things that we don't do because it may open you up to um, some type of witchcraft. And I'm sure Ann and I talked about, you know, before when we were plotting out this episode, um, how much time we were going to spend on this topic. And there will be other dop-in that I think will get more into issues of witchcraft and sorcery in more detail. But I think just that, you know, small line where it sort of goes through certain actions that you don't do, um, you know, cleaning yourself with, um, you know, with a shard of, earth, of, of earthenware, of like some type of pottery, uh, not killing lice on your garments, you know, this whole exchange that this woman has, uh, you know, uh, telling the rabbis that this is why she wasn't able to curse them, I, I think is like a little bit of a tension that we see, which is, did the rabbis believe that witchcraft was just like nourishkeit, like it didn't mean anything at all, or that it could have some type of power, but it's just something that like as Jews, we don't participate in. This would be one of those stories of an example, which sort of shows that I think they do believe there's something to it but it's just not something that we actually do. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's an interesting story. It starts on the page before, and I just wanted to call our attention to it. Yeah, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a whole kettle of fish, whatever, a Pandora's box. Whatever expression you want, we will need to delve into it at some later date. Yeah, exactly. But just to point it out there, I just wanted to read the next section of the Gemara there on the top of the page, which I can't really figure out well how it connects, um, but it tells the following story. Amar le Rafuna le Rabba Vare. So Rafuna came to his son Rabba and he said the following My time, Kame de What's the reason that you weren't found studying in front of Ravchista? So, first of all, I love, you know, and because he says why, because his halacha is very incisive. So, first of all, I love this story that it's like a parent who clearly knows his son or his child is not where he's supposed to be. And he's basically sort of calling him out. And he's saying like, wait, you have such a great teacher, Rabba. Why are you not bothering to learn with Rav Chista? Amarle, my azalagabe. So he says, why should I go to him? Um, because when I go to him, right, he talks to me about, right, mile de alma. Like he just talks to me about things that are going on um, in the world. And then he starts to list, a bunch of these things that, that Rav Chista taught. Amar li, man di'il right? That if somebody goes to the bathroom, you shouldn't sit down um, immediately below tapi and not exert yourself so much. Like, I guess, you know, not to use so much force when you're trying to go to the bathroom. Dahach prachista atula cheni, yati dilma mishtamata sheni de uh, I can't say that word, right? And that also that the, um, that a person's, re- oh, the reason for this is, is because the rectum has three teeth and you don't want to let the teeth dislocate your t- itself and that you will come into some sort of, uh, some sort of danger there. So basically what he's saying is, is that he went to class and Rafisa like, you know, started talking about like bathroom habits. And he's like, what am I doing here in yeshiva? Basically talking about um, talking about uh, you know bathroom habits. So what does he say? Amar So Rav Huna says to his son, "Who asig de 
So he says he's dealing with matters that are needed for human life. And you say that there are mile de alme, that they're just mundane matters. Now, you know, now even more so you need to go to him. So I think what the father is basically teaching his son, what Rafun is basically saying is, is, you know, first of all, teachers can teach anything. And I think it's also discussing that sort of the system of, you know, Jewish learning in a yeshiva should be something that's all inclusive. It should be not just about what, you know, looks at like is halakha, but also to talk about like, how do we take care of our bodies? How do we treat ourselves? What are the ways of the world? And essentially trying to tell his son, you know, you need to have a much broader perspective about what it's there that you're supposed to be learning in yeshiva. But again, this is just one of those wonderful sort of human stories that appear on the daf. You know, like I could see having that sort of interaction, you know, with one of my own children when someone says like, and I have, you know, sometimes where a kid is like, I don't know why I need to learn this. This doesn't have anything to do with either what we were supposed to be learning or doesn't seem relevant to me. And, you know, here Rav Huna is really telling his son, Rabba, no, these things are obviously relevant to you. And even more so, you should be studying hard with Rav Chista. So I'm going to take that, the actual content, right? The part that his son does not want to learn. And let's run with it. The Gemara continues. And we have here a discussion that's a little bit different than all of the previous, uh, you know, I'll call it again, I'll call it bathroom etiquette, right? It goes a little bit beyond that here. And I think that there's, a, um, well, I'll read it and, and then I'll explain and then hopefully everybody will understand why I find it interesting. Right? Somebody who has to void, right? Somebody who has to defecate according to the Safari English translation here, right? Somebody who needs to, to use the bathroom and does not. Rav of Ravina, there's a machloket here between Rav Christa and Ravina. We don't know which says which, but it's Chad Amar Ruach Rash Oletetbo. One says that there is an evil spirit that rests on this person, this person who needs the bathroom and does not go. The Chad Amar Ruach Zuhamash Oletetbo. And the other says, not a Ruach Ra, but the, an, um, an odor of filth um, rests on him. Tanya Kamanda Amar Ruach Zuhamash Oletetbo. The Tanya and Yitzrach Lenekava Vochel. So then we have a Brayta that says, in accord with the person who's talking about a Ruach Zuhama, right, the idea that there's a, an odor of filth resting on this person, the Brayta says as follows, one who needs the bathroom and does not go, again, one who needs to, to defecate and does not go, um, I'm sorry, and not only does not go, one and eats instead. Domelitanur, it's similar to an oven, that is heated on top of its ashes. Right. So, what I find interesting here, and that's the beginning of the smell of the, of the filth. So, what I find interesting here is that this machloket is very much a matter of, you know, how are we going to characterize this person who is who is refusing to go to the bathroom? Right. Is it a matter of um, holding back in a way that is that is I don't know, like some kind of of motivation that is, I don't know, it seems to be spiritual in some kind of way. If you're going to talk about a Ruach Ra'a, an evil spirit. Right, well, Ruach Ra'a always usually implies something spiritual, like the Ruach Ra'a after sleep, or it's it's something more spiritual in nature. Exactly. So then, is, so according to one opinion here, the person who holds back from going to the bathroom that he needs to is then subject to this spiritual, you know, evil on him. 
Okay, and that's one approach. And the other is like, what are you talking about evil spirits, right? There's just, he's smelly. Why is he smelly? Because this is the example of like, you need to go to the bathroom. You need to void. You need to get yourself, you know, clear. Whatever, whatever euphemism you'd like here or not, right? The idea here is that somebody who is, the, the second opinion is talking very much about the physical reality of the person who does not go to the bathroom presumably when they can, right? It does not seem to be discussing constipation and, and refrains from doing so. so. So I find that interesting. I find it interesting that we have here a, a decision, a, a, rather a discussion about whether somebody who is not going to the bathroom is impaired then in a spiritual way or very much in a physical way. Either way, you don't want to be near him, right? You don't want that Ruach Ra'ah and you also certainly don't want that Ruach Zohamah. Yeah, and again, I think this speaks to the Mile de Alma, you know, that we think we're talking about mundane things. But again, part of the job of the teacher was really to sort of impart on his students wisdom about just how the world works. And you were really there to sort of learn everything um, and not just necessarily things that, you know, we sort of classically would understand as being about the Torah itself. Right. And so now that the Gemara continues, and then it's talking about somebody who truly seems to be constipated. Right. Somebody who wants to he wants to but cannot. And now the Gemara gives advice. Meaning be active. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. We've got another, you know, the peanut gallery here, right? We have another voice. Somebody's visiting from the Harda'ah. And Rav Hanan, that's his name, he says, he should move to the sides. He should try in a different place. Rav Hamnuna Amar Yemashmesh, everybody's got a solution, right? Yemashmesh Betshur Baotomakom. He says he should try to get him his bowels to move in a physical manner. Rabbanan Amre Yasiach Dato. Rabbanan say, and this I think is clutch, he should think about something else, right? Amar Le Ravach Abred Rav Ashi. If he diverts his thoughts, if he thinks about something else, then he's never going to go to the bathroom. No, no, you should make sure that you're not thinking about other things, right? To focus exclusively on going to the bathroom, which I think is such a, like a, a it's a very good Gemara logic or playing with words to get yourself out of the thing that you said that turned out to be the opposite of what the other person wanted to hear. Right. Whichever I I can see the rationale either way. Right. If you stop thinking about it, then maybe your your body will work again. Or if you focus exclusively, then maybe your body will work again. You know what? And, and he said, Revirmi has a Maisa Shahaya, right? A Maisa Shahaya is a Maase Shahaya, a story, a, a, a story that happened. He says, I saw a certain person. The English translation here says Arab. It means like an Arabian, right? It doesn't, it's not modern uh, nomenclature. Um, and what did that person do? He stood and he sat and he stood and he sat. And then he easily went to the bathroom. So, you know, the conclusion is that that physical solution to the physical ailment seems to be effective. Again, I'm struck by this. This, I think, your Dana goes back to what you're talking about, or right the the advice. You, you, you think that this is not practical advice that you're learning in, in in your yeshiva. You don't need to know this, and the answer is no, no. There's Torah here too, and it addresses 
quite literally every scenario you could possibly imagine. And everybody's got a different solution, meaning this is not a quiet discussion. Everybody's joining in, you know, in that context. of So for us, it's learning Gemara, right? For us, it's learning Torah. I do wonder whether at that time they were thinking about this particular question as a matter of Torah, right? Even the first passage that I read is talking about a Ruach Ra'ah. All right, that could be in the spiritual realm. We're talking about Torah. Here we're talking about you know, very, very physically, how is one going to manage to excrete? And I don't know, maybe they didn't think they were talking about Gemara, but because it got recorded here, right, it was included, then we take away from that, you know, the the very strong message, you know, this is Torah, and we need to learn it as well. Right. And I just love the whole thing that there's even like, different ideas of how to do it. Like, you know, I think all of us have had, you know, a medical something that's happened to us. Um, not necessarily something you would go to the doctor for, but you know, like your mother, your best friend, your father, your brother, like everybody has a different opinion about like what to do to solve it. <laughs> the Israeli pass that very pass nicely, like on the page here. Right. Like, you know, you, you, I, when, when, when I read it, like I could hear the voices in my head of how it was being said. Right. Right. Okay. Now I want to note that halfway through, I'm at Aleph here. I don't know exactly halfway, but whatever. Um, we finish with this parak. Hadran Allah Hamotzi Yayin. We finish this parak. We move into the next parak. Um, and it's an interesting one. Uh, it's called Amar Rabbi Akiva. That by itself, right? The beginning of the Mishnah, the Mishnahic statement, or the first mission in this parak, is in fact, the, you know, Amar Rabbi Akiva. He's got a statement to make. So we're going to learn it, and then we're going to discuss it a little bit, and then we're going to continue with this for some time because it's a new parak. Amar Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Kiva wants to know, how do we know that idolatry, meaning an item of idolatry, will transmit impurity, meaning that it is tummy and it will give off tuma in the same way that um, something that is carried by a menstrual woman would give off tuma. That she gives off tuma so that it becomes tame, right? And we have here a verse, which is, you know, the proof text of this, which, but it's interesting because it's a proof text from Yishayahu. It's not a Chumash verse. Tizraim kamot dava, right? He says, you will um, you will cast away komodava seito marlo. You go out and tell it out. Now, what are we talking here about here? <clears throat> the rest, excuse me, <clears throat> frog in my throat. We um the the rest of the verse that is not cited here in this Mishnah is talking about exactly this question of when you have tuma on your statues on your idols, right? The time of Yeshayahu was the time people were over There were those who were idolaters, even though they were not supposed to be, right? This is part of Yeshayahu's the prophet Isaiah's job was to give rebuke. But that's not the strange part here, right? Just as the menstruant woman will give off that tuma by carrying something, so too idolatry will transmit impurity by carrying. So the theme of carrying appears here once again, but we are in new territory. Yeah, the only thing that I want to mention here is, I think you get to this ninth parak and you're like, whoa, whoa, what, what are we like even talking about here? Like this has nothing 
to do with nothing. And I know we've been spending a lot of time thinking a little bit about the structure. So now the structure is going to even take even more of a turn with Masachat Shabbat. And essentially here, what's the relationship between this parak and the parak before is that the last Mishnah um, in Paraklet, in the eighth parak, Rabbi Meir brings an asmachta uh, to prove what he felt the halacha was from uh, Sefer Yishayahu. Um, and remember, we've talked about before, how, what, and what's the term that you always use to describe what an asmachta is? It's like something to hang your hat on. Like, you know what the halacha is, and you take a puzzle to say, oh, there's a hint to it. There's an asmachta to it in a, uh, in, in a pasuk. So what's happening here is in, uh, in Perak Tet, in the ninth Perak, okay, the first four Mishnayot are all going to ca- contain a variety of asmachtot, of, you know, a halacha. They don't have to do with Shabbat necessarily, um, and, but we are going to learn the halacha from an asmachta from this methodology of basically, you know, stating what the halacha is and then finding a pasuk that doesn't say it, you know, this is the halacha or this is the mitzvah or this is, you know, how you do X, Y, and Z thing. But, you know, it it quotes a few words that then have to sort of be interpreted in a way to say, that's how we learn that halacha. So I think this even turns some of the questions that we've been having about the structure of Masakha Shabbat even in a totally different way. And we're going to see what these next, you know, we started with the first one, what the next three Mishnayot are uh, that all just will contain an asmachta, but are not necessarily on the topic of Hilchot Shabbos at all. Yeah, it's, um, I'm eager, I'm eager to embark on this. I feel like perhaps it will also unlock for, for some of the answers to the questions that we've had about the structure of the Gemara thus far, and even the questions right. of Shabbos and why is that, um, Sorry, why is Hotsa at the beginning and why are the Malachot in Prakshvi and so on, right? Now we may not get answers, but but the fact that we the fact that when I would say it like this, the structure the the text here is so obviously different. It means that there is thought behind it, right? It's not a haphazard. We know there's a compiler, we know that Rabbi Huna Nasi put together the mission, we know that there's you know a plan. He had some organizing principle. Whether we can derive it, whether we can figure it out, oh, that's you know that's on us. But but it's there, and if we weren't sure that we're there, again, like you don't end up with something that's so apparently out of character of the same topics without you know a real plan in mind. Right, and to me, and again, I think we'll just we'll close it with this. To me, you know, maybe what the plan is is again, remember, this wasn't printed initially. This, as much as the mission was written down, it still was in a certain way orally you know, transmitted from from teacher to student, from generation to generation. So I look at it as like, oh, while we're learning a halacha that's bad, that is hinges on an asmachta, you know, at the end of paraklet. So now we're going to learn a bunch of other halachot that are learned through asmachta, you know, and that's sort of the, you know, the way it, it's a memory game. It's like, how are you going to remember these things? And it kind of makes sense because if you're using memory to sort of keep it as a group, so this would be like, oh, here's a series of like five Mishnayos that all have to do with an asmachta. Like you could see why you would sort of try to remember it that way. It's, it's a memory trick in a way that I think the Mishnah is trying to play with itself here. So we'll end with that. That's our DAF for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Uh, leave us a comment on our Talking Talmud page if you have any insight into some of the unusual structure of this particular Masachat. And until tomorrow's DAF... Daf-